0: In the morning, when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f-ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f-ing ass. With Granny and Bischoff. Rip them mother f-ers. Rip them suckers like the f-ing players. The
1: Oilers beat the Flames 5-4 in overtime last night. Connor McDavid with his first ever playoff overtime goal, and it sent the Calgary Flames home in five. First, did the Flames get screwed? Third period, games tied at four. They scored a goal. Goes to review when they determine that Blake Coleman used a kicking motion to put the puck in It was in the a net. very
2: small motion, but I do think... His entire foot went into the net. So I do think in somewhat he must have moved his foot forward to kick it. But it was very indiscernible. I mean, he didn't, like, take his foot back and, like, completely kick right. it in. He
1: kind of just guided it in. It was a lot of people started posting videos throughout the regular season of goals that were that stood that had a more pronounced kicking kick. motion yeah. Yeah. than Blake Coleman's did. I, I honestly believe... All goals should stand if they go and like off your skate. Like we should not be in an element where oh you kicked it in that you can't do that. Like to me that's ridiculous. I guess there's a safety element if they don't want people swinging their skates around <laughs> in the crease and cutting people, mainly goalies. But like if you deflect, I feel like it's more impressive if you deflect it off your skate than it is to use your stick. That seems Screw. that seems harder to do. Yes, than to use your stick. So. I think they I should have stood. I think the idea that we are, there is this weird gray area of whoever is reviewing this deciding, and it's different every Whether time. Whether or not it's a
2: kicking motion.
1: Is fairly ridiculous. Right. It's incredibly arbitrary. And yeah, what's your, what's your basis of the kicking motion? How far his foot goes back? Right. I have and no idea. It, what and it appears is. to be different every time yeah. there's a different play. So I. Yes, I understand you don't want goalies getting sliced because somebody's just in the crease stomping away with their skate, but I don't think we'd have a massive increase in guys swinging their stick or skates in the crease like that. So I think all goals should count. Um, also on this series, though, Jason Greger tweeted this out Connor McDavid has been on the ice for 38 Oilers goals in the playoffs. He's been on the ice for 261 minutes. These are the rest of the teams that are still in the playoffs. Total goals scored in the postseason. Remember, McDavid on the ice for 38. Florida, 23. Carolina, 33. Calgary, 35. Tampa, 36. The Rangers, 37. The Blues, 38. The only team that has scored more goals in the postseason than the Oilers have with just McDavid on the ice is the Colorado Avalanche, who have scored 40. He's been on the ice for 261 minutes and has been on the ice for almost more goals than every other team still playing in the postseason. Do you see his celebration coming off the ice? Oh, he's pumped. I mean, I I thought it was cool because
2: you don't get that from him very often. I mean, you get celebrations, I said he's happy, but this was almost a dance.
1: I mean, he's finally in a conference final, right? Right. He's won more postseason series this year. He had ever. in his entire career. Right. And he scored the game winning goal in yeah. overtime to do it. Like, and by the way, against their biggest rival, right? Like yep. incredible, like incredible moment. Aside from winning the Stanley Cup, that's Connor McDavid's biggest moment. Sure. Like it probably at the end of his career when he's going to the Hall of Fame, that's probably one of the top five moments, right? Well, like, if he
2: doesn't win a Stanley Cup, well, it, might w- be, yeah. Yeah, it might be,
1: yeah. Yeah, it might might be number one if he never wins one. a cup. But like even if he were to win like three cups. That's still probably going to be top five because, again, you beat your biggest rival, and it was an overtime game winner to do it. Like
2: To clinch a series. It's a massive
1: goal. And it was in Calgary.
2: Yeah. That's a
1: good point. Man, you know, that's a great question. The Hurricanes beat the Rangers 3-1 in Game 5, so they have a 3-2 series lead, and it continues their incredible streak of being perfect at home and winless on the road. They're 7-0 at home in the postseason, 0-5 on the road. So... Is Galant about to go home, or is that trend going to stay true and we're getting? I was going to gonna say he's going to
2: go home after Game Seven. <laughs> yes.
1: I I love this about Carolina, and I hope it just continues. I hope every series they play goes seven because they can't win on the road, and they only win at home. And whoever has home ice in seven just wins. Yeah, it's terrific. I. It's great. And yeah, you're right. Gerard Gallant going to go home, but it's going to be in game seven because he's going to go home and win. Yeah. Because that's what Carolina does. Um, We're going to miss Gerard Gallant, aren't we?
2: Oh, I
1: wanted him. I wanted him to win the cup. You know that. He didn't yell at enough players yesterday. He's got to start cussing out some more hurricanes. (laughs) That's what he's got to do. He's got to get the team going. Start cussing them out.
2: Great question. Thank you.
1: Zion Williamson has been cleared to play without restrictions. By the Pelicans. He missed all of last season in three years since being drafted. He has only played in 85 games. What should we expect from Zion Williamson next year?
2: I hope he's better than just taking five-year-olds off the dribble. Like we saw him during the playoffs (laughs) when they said Zion's close. And the only video we got is he was taking some poor five-year-old off the dribble and dunking on him. (laughs) So let's hope he's better than that.
1: I don't know what to expect out of him because in the limited time that we saw him play, he was incredible. Like just, he just got to the rim when he wanted and finished. Like he was incredible, but the injuries are a massive concern. There's obviously the, the possibility that he never plays a full season or anything close to a full season, that this is going to be the story of Zion Williamson. But I I think my expectations are when he plays, he's going to be amazing, but we're just going to get 40 games out of him. Not, 70 or 80 or something like that well you and talk
2: about luca talk about a guy who needs to really come in in shape i mean come on <laughs> he's in shape from especially butt. with a foot injury all that weight he needs he needs to he needs to be in much better shape he, he didn't stay in shape duncan on the five olds it didn't appear to parents he was still a little large
1: okay maybe it's just because he was compared to five-year-olds he looked yes exactly the poor kid was, was. was a little skinny little kid that's a great great question Nathan Mensa has withdrawn his name from the NBA draft, and he will return to San Diego State. Aztecs expected to be the preseason favorite in the Mountain West. Think possible top 25 teams. I think start possible of the
2: year? top 25. Everyone's back. Plus, and I don't know his name, but they had a sit out last year that I'm told is going to be the best player on the team, better than Bradley. He's a that's, power forward. That's pretty helpful. So <laughs> if that's if he's better than Bradley, or in terms of more of an impact than Bradley, he's a power forward, he's a four. Mensa was the defensive player of the year in the league. Yeah, I think they're top twenty five. They're in the Maui. Listen to this field. They're in the Maui with Creighton, who's going to be great. Arizona, Cincinnati, um, Louisville, and and some other great and Texas Tech. I mean, the Maui's awesome next year. You That's can go on three and be like really good. Yeah.
1: Texas Tech just got a five-star recruit. Yeah, I mean, you could be really good in going through that tournament. Someone's going 0-3, and they're probably his the top 25 team. That field sounds better than the San Juan Capistrano. Just a little classic. better than
2: San Juan Capistrano
1: Classic. <laughs> Is Okay, we've talked about this a lot, and the transfer portal, the players UNLV got out of it, applies to this. Is UNLV just a worse version of San Diego State?
2: Well, I mean, next year... Perhaps. I haven't seen all the transfers from UNLV, so that's unfair to say. But they definitely have gone down the line of every time they got a transfer, the first thing we heard about is, oh, he's a good defensive player. And who's the best defensive team in the league? San Diego State. Um, So if they're long and athletic and really good defensive team, then they're just like San Diego State.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's our expectation of UNLV going into this season. And Similar to San Diego State is there's questions on the offensive side like there usually are for San Diego State. They've had a couple of years where their offense was great, mainly the Kawhi Leonard year and the uh, Malachi Flynn year. year. But um, it's still usually a question mark of, okay, San Diego State, you've got a top 20 defense or whatever in the entire country. Your offense is ranked 111th, and you're going to be an eight seed because of it. UNLV is probably a worse version of that, where their defense is 40th in the country, and their offense is 130th, and... To make the their, tournament, yeah, probably not an NCAA tournament team if that's their uh, end of the season metrics. Uh,
2: Jadon Ledee. that's who set out. Jaden Ledee. yeah, that's the, that's the kid. Supposedly, I'm just going on what I hear is better than that. He'll be the best player in the team. Does that mean he can score? Uh, I don't know about that. I heard he's uh,
1: incredible inside, so I don't. I don't know. I mean, but I do know it's Jaden Ledee. because that's been like if you just to. Oversimplify it. That when San Diego State has their best teams, it's because oh they're great defensively like usual, and Kawhi Leonard is awesome, right. or, Malachi or Malachi Flynn, Flynn is awesome. awesome. Like yeah. when they find that one guy who has an incredible offensive season, that's right. when they go from oh they're a six to ten seed in the NCAA tournament right. to uh, so they could be like a yeah, top they would, four. They would have, would have been a two, to been a two seed with Flynn Malachi here, if not the pandemic. Guy. Man, that's that sucks so much for San Diego State. Oh. I know we got a UNLV fans. You guys don't care what sucks for San Diego State, but they were going to be a two-seat, maybe yeah. a one, but yeah. they lost to Utah State, so that probably would have knocked them out in the Mountain West Championship game. But they were going to be a two-seat right. in the NCAA tournament. Like, of all the teams that are like, oh, we had our best year. Oh, the tournament. Pandemic. Oh, it's canceled. That's 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 awful. So in Ladeez, last year that he played 2020-2021 season at TCU as a junior... He had one start against Providence and appeared in 22 other games, averaged 5.8 points and four rebounds. Yeah. 59-57, San Diego (laughs) State over UNLV. Next question. The NFL is taking $7.5 million from each team to pay off the Rams lawsuit. Uh, If you remember, the Rams in the NFL lost a lawsuit about moving the team out of St. Louis. Basically they broke their own relocation rules and to pay off some of this lawsuit. The NFL is taking money from other teams, 7.5 million uh, from each team works out to 240 million in total. And what I find funny about this from the Raiders side, they were rejected in moving to Los Angeles. And now they have to pay because the team that did get to go to Los Angeles broke their own rules in relocating to Los Angeles. 7.5
2: 7.5 million for Mark D. MD's got to write a check.
1: I think they're just taking it out of like their revenue sharing, is what they're doing. To actually get them all to send them a check, I that don't would think be that's awesome. happening. That would I'd be think, awesome. I think they're just withholding money 7. orders. 7.5? Yes. <laughs> but that is, if I would, listen, not just the Raiders, if I was any team, but especially the Raiders, I'd be furious about this. Like, oh, the Rams and the NFL broke the rules to relocate them, and now you're, you're taking money from me? Right ridiculous and uh, Mike Florio is, has used this quote like a hundred times Jerry Jones said something like two years ago about Stan Kroenke the owner of the Rams he was like Stan always pays up he it's all he always handles things and now Stan Kroenke is <laughs> not paying up and they're taking it from every other owner in the league it's uh, terrific next question Patrick Mahomes says the Chiefs will have a deep Wide receiver room, quote, it's going to be everybody. It's not all going to be one guy. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is still going to get a lot of completions, a lot of yards, but the whole receiving room is going to have, a, have big days, and that can be something we use to our advantage. They traded away Tyreek Hill uh, in Mahomes four years as a starter. Last four years as a starter, 50% of his passing yards have been to Hill or Kelsey. Their wide receiver room, they brought in Juju Smith-Schuster, they brought in Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and they drafted Sky Moore in the second round. That's just him saying what he thinks he's supposed to be saying. I I read that quote, and to me, the main thing that sticks out is that none of those wide receivers have already stuck out to Patrick Mahomes. Right. Like, that, right. That he might be right, and all of them have a big game, but it's more about, oh, we don't have a true number one. We don't one. have
2: Travis Kelsey, so yeah. I'm just
1: going to spread it around. So that's going to be Excuse interesting. Me, Tyreek Hill. Yeah. I am curious. Is Juju Smith-Schuster going to be really good know. this year? He had some. He had some good years in Pittsburgh, right? And like Sky Moore, supposedly the fast guy you put on the outside, which would allow Juju Smith-Schuster to be the slot receiver. So Marquez Valdes-Scantling's an outside guy too. I. Why do I feel like Juju Smith-Schuster is going to have a really big year for because who his quarterback City? is? Yeah, I think so. And like, yes, Kelsey's there, but you got to throw to somebody else, and he just I don't know jumps out to me as that's going to be a guy that racks up a ton of catches and yards. Like it feels like Sky Moore if he's the outside deep threat or whatever. He'll have the handful of plays a game where he's deep down the field or something, and they'll connect on one or two of them. But it feels like Juju Smith Schuster is going to be the actual guy that Mahomes targets a lot. I wonder the biggest thing for me on, on how good Kansas city's offense is. Mahomes is at his best or Mahomes is different from every other quarterback when plays break down and he extends them. And all of a sudden he's throwing at 70 yards down the field. He and Tyree kill were great with that with scramble mode, right? Like where everything's broken down, find somewhere to get open. He and Travis Kelsey have been great with that. Is that something that Juju Smith, Schuster, Sky Moore, and Marquez Valdez Scantling can be solid at just starting off? Or is that going to be a big problem where we see Mahomes? He's out of the pocket. He hasn't been sacked yet. And Oh, all my receivers went to a different spot than I'm used to them going. Like I'm, I'm curious if that's something that can well, be... Yeah, and it took a long time probably to get that comfortable. Yeah, I, I wonder how quickly that comes. Because if, if, it, if it's right away, then Chiefs are going to be just fine. They're yep. going to win the AFC. If that takes seven, eight weeks, if that takes a whole season, whatever, then Chiefs might, well, might lose the division, honestly. The division's good enough that they could lose it if that's the case. So that's sort of the curiosity part for me. Coming up next, who's going to be the best team in the Pacific Division next year? David
0: created a turnover for a dry side inside McGee scores! Connor McDavid has won the Battle of Alberta for Edmonton! 5-4 in overtime! You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at EdGraney and Bischoff underscore Tyler.
1: That guy was great. I know. That guy. So Oilers are going to the Western Conference Finals. They'll get the winner of Colorado and St. Louis. Uh, Colorado or St. Louis. Either one will have home ice. Uh, as Both had more points than Edmonton in the regular season. Here's a question for you, Ed. Are the Golden Knights going to be favored to win the Pacific Division next year?
2: Yes. You think I think so? they will
1: be the popular choice once again. So you have Calgary won the division this year. They won 50 games. They had 111 points. Edmonton was second and just knocked out Calgary and will be playing in the Western Conference finals, which means there's a chance the Edmonton Oilers are winning the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, You also have the Los Angeles Kings who made the postseason and 99 with 99 points. Vegas obviously missed 94 points actually isn't a terrible season, uh, but 94 points to miss the postseason. I am curious to see next year what the odds are, because I have to imagine if Edmonton wins the Stanley Cup, that they'll be the favorites to win the division next season. If Edmonton loses next round to Colorado, then I think it's probably Vegas that's ultimately the favorite here. I think
2: people are going to go back to the injuries and say, oh, they're
1: going to be healthy this year. They're the best team. Is this going to be a bad division again, though? Like, do we have to stop saying the Pacific division is awful?
2: I don't know about awful, but I don't know if it can be it's probably gonna be considered the worst division in hockey yet
0: again. Yeah.
1: And that that's the part like you look at, you know, the Atlantic where it was Florida, Toronto, Tampa, Boston that all made the postseason. And you look at the other side in the West with Colorado just Colorado simply existing there, might make that a better division. It's I think I think there's definitely even if the Golden Knights are good next year, right? Which we expect them to be. I think there's much more of a race than we thought there would have been this past season, right? This past season, we thought the Golden Knights were going to run away with the division. kill the division. Right. But I do think Edmonton's going to probably be a legitimate threat throughout the course of the season. Let's see with Calgary. Their best player, Johnny Gaudreau, is a free agent. Uh, If he comes back to Calgary, obviously that helps them quite a bit. But if they lose Johnny Gaudreau, I wonder how much that matters to them. But I do think next year... We're still talking about the Golden Knights as the probable favorite yes. with the yes. slight. If if Edmonton does win the cup, they'll probably be favored to as the best team in the Pacific Division. Uh, but it's it's interesting um, that the division I still
2: think they'll be favored. Yeah, it, I still think people the books will say, well, they had a bunch of injuries.
1: How big of a difference to you is it for in the Pacific Division to not be the one seed? Like next year looking ahead, how big of a deal is it to be the one versus the two or the three?
2: I mean, I guess you'd have to tell me who's two and three, right? Yeah. I mean, and what what does that mean for the wild card? Because the wild card in the other divisions could definitely be better than the two and the three.
1: Right. Right. And that I mean, was as it was
2: the case this year. Right.
1: We were talking about okay, well, if the Golden Knights can get and play L A in the first round yeah, in a two fun. three matchup. Yeah, be great. They're going to the second round. Whereas, oh, if they get in as a wild card and they gotta go to with Colorado. Play Colorado. Then it's a waste of eight days. Right. How many days the Cal- the Flames just wasted nine days, right? Yeah. Isn't that how long this series went?
2: I thought the uh I thought Colorado, I thought
1: St. Louis some days, but they they choose to stay around a little longer, Won St. A Louis. Yeah. One a couple. Watch out, Colorado. Colorado's still gonna win there. Um we talked about this yesterday with Adam Candy, but I did want to get your thoughts on it. The fourth period, David Pagnotta reported that the Golden Knights have interest in Paul Maurice and Rick Tockett. Uh, you have any opinions, anything you think about Rick Tockett or Paul Maurice? Um, Paul Maurice has been around forever. Uh, I,
2: <laughs> I see this down here. I've, I have I actually laugh. I want to know what it is about hockey and new voices. Yeah. I, this is the most I've ever heard in terms of Maurice stepping down in, from Winnipeg into center because the players needed a new voice, just like I guess the Knights needed a new voice. Um, not much. Uh I don't think either have a better re- resume than Pete DeBoer, no. um, so you know what does that tell you? Tockett, you've you've gone over this. Talk it had one winning season, one playoff, one playoff appearance, one in six playoff years. appearance, and I think it was the bubble. Yes. Um, Maurice has more losses than wins as a head coach. He's yep. been around forever, twenty four seasons as a head coach in
1: the NHL. That is a lot, and he's only made the postseason nine times. Yeah,
2: <laughs> considering how fast these guys get fired yeah. to get 24 seasons in It's a pretty good run, <laughs> even though he hasn't done much with them.
1: Uh, yeah, Paul Maurice, I, that to me was sort of the staggering part that like he's been around for 24 years, but he's only been in the postseason nine times in 24 years. And That's, in a league where if you're average at all, you can sneak into the playoffs. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely. Not difficult it's, to get to the NHL playoffs right now. Fifty percent of the teams make the postseason. But for the majority of Paul Maurice's coaching career, more than fifty percent of the teams made the postseason. Yeah. Like for him to not have made the playoffs at least in fifty percent of his time in twenty-four years, that's not very good. No. Now, he does have one Cup final loss and two other conference final losses. So one to the misfits yes so he does when he's gotten to the postseason his teams have gone deep on a regular basis but again and get to the postseason very often I neither one of those coaches would get me that excited from a wow. resume standpoint uh, both of those hires would make you look back and say so you fired Pete DeBoer for what exactly right um, but the one thing that would sell me or that I would be like okay that makes a lot of sense is if McCrimmon or McPhee came in and said you know we hired Tocket or we hired Maurice because his style of play is blank and that's going to help the roster because blank, right? Like if one of these guys play coaches a certain way and they think that's exactly what the roster needs, then I, I'd i have no problem with that. But they're not going to give that quote. Well, so.
2: Rick Tockett didn't in Arizona. But again, I look at his Arizona years and someone said this to me when, when they fired DeBoer and Rick Tockett was kind of this, popular name uh, on the undercurrent there because it was a relationship with some people in the management of the Golden Knights. I said, boy, he stunk in Arizona. They're like, well it's Arizona, so hold yes. on. Everybody I pretty mean, much thinks in you know, Arizona. You, you gotta you can't hold that completely against right. them because it was Arizona. He
1: he you don't get he doesn't get any credit because he didn't really do anything right, but with
2: them. I don't know how much blame he but, deserves either.
1: Right. It's it's sort of a okay, you coached an NHL team and we didn't and was, learn anything right. because it's Arizona. Because it's Arizona. They're gonna be playing at the Arizona <laughs> State sundown yes.
0: facility this year, so yeah, we'll give you a little bit of a break for that one. Coming up next, Your Own Whitesman joins the show. We are back to the press box morning show with Ed Greeny and Tyler Bischoff. Say... Joining us now, covering the NBA
1: for Fox Sports, Your Own Whitesman. Good morning, Your Own. How are you today? Hey. Aaron?
3: I'm good, guys. What about you?
1: We're good. Great. All right, I have a very important, uh, overarching question for you. Is there something the NBA needs to do, or do we just sort of have to live through a bad postseason where we don't get any close games?
3: Yes. Um, I, actually, I was wondering this because I feel like this has also become. I'm, I'm with you, right? I have felt this. I also felt that this has become one of these things where every year you say, oh, man, this year there are more blowouts than ever and the game stink. Um, I haven't looked at the data. I haven't seen any data if it's actually worse this year. Um, yeah, I mean, this is you know what happens is the three-point shooting I think changes it a little bit. I mean, these are not making things up. The three-point shooting and also we're missing some of the guys. You know, we're I guess the Warriors aren't there, you know, but like no Durant, no LeBron, no uh, Giannis. It sort of changes things a little bit. Uh,
2: a few years now, is there anything trainers can do to keep these guys healthy? Because there's been nothing but injuries to keep players.
3: No, I mean, other really listen, okay, so the answer, you know, the real answer to your question, like, this is uh, it's an non starter, like, shave 12 games off the regular season, right? That's the answer. Um, but that will never happen.
1: <laughs> uh We've heard a lot about like Adam Silver not liking load management. Does Adam Silver need to embrace load management instead of actually taking the games away just be like, "Yeah, make sure you rest all your players at least 12 games during the year." But
3: that I, I hear you, but that's just, it's never like you can't do that. You can't sell that to a customer base, <laughs> and by customers I mean stand by tickets, but also um you know, those are the people that we, doesn't, you know, League doesn't actually care about those people, right? Like the amount, you know, the amount of money that's bringing, It's the TV people, right? That's the people that matter. And like, you can't sell that to the people who are spending billions of dollars on your product, right? So, and that's why we don't lose games either. But to me, the answer would be sort of cut um, 12 games off the regular season. I seems like they're going to try to mess around a little bit here, which maybe kill some regular season games, but add some tournament games. I don't know. I mean, the answer would be like, each team, what's the math? I get the math on it. But like, Everyone should play each team twice, basically, right? You know, change the whole thing. <laughs> we could probably also, you know, cut the playoffs down to best of five in the first round instead of best of seven. But again, these are all things that take away money, and that's just not going to happen.
2: Is it as impressive as we believe what the Warriors have done to come back after those two years?
3: Yes. I think it's impressive. I guess it's... Um... Was the Lakers in 91 with magic. The, I not think they lost the bulls. I guess that's the most basic example. I kind of think of like the dynasty coming back around. And I you know there's the Spurs also, but they had a different kind of thing because the Spurs, like Kawhi, they had, they injected Kawhi, right? Which I know he wasn't the best player, but it was a different sort of thing. I know the Warriors bad at some guys, but this is still the Steph and Draymond show, basically. Right. That's what this is. Um Yeah. It's really impressive and really cool and fun. Um, it shows good management and, you know, they've, they've made some good moves along the margins, like Wiggins was smart and drafted Kaminga and getting picked and all that. Um, but to me, just a testament to Steph and Draymond and really Steph for the most part, just, you know, how special he is in terms of just being a, a winner. I don't mean that in terms of the cliche, just that the guy, like a franchise player, sort of similar to Duncan, you know, you get these guys going through generation who they're great, but also they're, um, you know, their demeanor, the way they carry themselves, the way they act, the way they don't mind being the guy or not the guy, They kind of shift between roles. It just sets you up in a way that most guys do not enable you to, to do so.
1: Did Jason Kidd call Luka Doncic fat by saying, uh, basically saying, <laughs> what are we going to do to train this summer to know what it means to play in May and June?
3: I mean, he might have, but like, Jason Kidd, been, he's been taking shots at people in press conferences all playoffs, right? <laughs> I don't know like that. I didn't find that surprising. I think that's like his fifth shot at Luka. Um, <laughs> So, and I'm guessing part of the reason they felt they wanted Jason Kidd is because they wanted somebody who had some cachet who would feel comfortable and who Luca would, um, you know, Luca wouldn't blow it off, right? Jason Kidd's got a track record that guys respect as a really successful former player. Um, so I'm guessing, like, it, to me, this is Kidd basically doing, like, what he was brought in to do. So I have no problem. And then, again, I wasn't surprised. Like, he's had, you know, I have a video up on, uh, Talking about things the Mavericks can do. We have a clip in there talking about how Jason Kidd's saying, like, you know, Luka has to start participating on defense. Like, this is not the first comment he's made about Luka. And he's (laughs) right. And Luka would know he's
2: right. Uh, If Jalen Brunson goes and gets paid, uh, is this the apex for the Mavericks or maybe even less than this, given in the West next year, how many injured players will come back and you still have the Warriors and Phoenix and all that?
3: So I agree that there was a flukiness to this year in terms of the Nuggets, the Warriors, uh, Nuggets, Clippers, and even Lakers, we can say, right? Teams who have kind of fallen off or uh, or, who, or who had years from hell or injuries or whatever, and that opened up a path. And the Suns um, uh, self-destructed, That opened up a path for the Mavericks. But like, I've seen people saying this. Like, I, I wouldn't sweep on a team um, being, you know, ran by Luca. with Luka at the head. You know, he's, he's. Top three player, top five player, whatever you want to call it, and you know he's already proven himself to be an all-time great postseason player. Like, go look at his post—I don't know if you guys have—but like, go look at his postseason numbers; they're insane. Not just this year, his career playoff numbers—it's like thirty-two seven and seven or something. It's, it's, it's something ridiculous, right? Um, and he's just proven himself. He's probably the best offensive player in the NBA. So yeah, there are things he can do. But the Mavericks, like, they—they got to add some more guys. But I wouldn't—I I wouldn't say this is different.
1: Is there a free agent or a trade out there that you think they can go and get that would that would make them legitimate title contenders? Like, does that exist this offseason?
3: Yeah, it could. I mean, so what, one thing they could use is a um, – so they don't have a ton of assets or – space, but they have some exceptions, and, you know, if they do a and trade at Brunson, or they could bring him back. Um, they're going to get Tim Hardaway Jr. back, which will help a little bit on the there. Yeah. Um, and there are guys that they could use a big man so they could protect the rim and either roll with Luca or spread the floor. And there's some guys like that available, whether it's Miles Turner, who's, you know, on the trademark at the You know, DeAndre Hayden's obviously somebody who's there now who's probably seemingly available. Um, I don't know. Lee Bobert, if he be has for the right package, if he's throwing a bunch of draft picks and guys. Like, there, there are um, Clint Capella. Like, there are big guys for them that they could target. Um, so, they're moves to make. And for them, they're going to try to have to find wings. That's going to be the big thing. But, like, if building around a Luca Doncic team is going to be, can we find... Um, two-way wings which every team is looking for those so it's not as easy as it sounds but you can if you do those like they might want to come play in Dallas also cuz if you play with Luka you can get open shots and you can get paid.
2: If Draymond Green is correct and they're going to play the Celtics what jumps out at you the very first thing in terms of if the Celtics are good defensively enough to stop those guys?
3: Yeah I mean that's good that's it like I think the Celtics and you know talking to people like you know six coaches of face them whatever like the Celtics defense is um you know next world like in next level right it's just it's just ridiculous in terms of i don't know if we've seen a team recently who has as many guys as them who are you can combine that they're all big uh fast they can all guard multiple positions and they're all really smart and eager defenders if you look across like Marcus mark grant Williams Al Horford Jalen Brown Jason Tatum like Robert Williams like it's, it's one of the great defensive lineups we've seen in recent years and they do a lot of really complicated things. Like everyone talks about their switching, but what they do is like, they don't, they don't switch every possession. They'll switch on, you know, we'll switch on this pick and roll, but not this version of pick and roll. We're going to drop on this side. And then where you think you're going to, you think you haven't figured out when we're going to switch. Well, now we're not going to switch out of this timeout. We're going to blow up your whole play, which was designed to switch to get this guy into that guy. And it's just like they're playing at such a high level now. Um, and the Warriors are great. And they're going to make you play at a really high level. And, you know, they get shot up offensively and, the way they move the ball is beautiful, and, you know, I don't sweep on teams. If you look at the record over the past, even the down years, basically like when Steph and Draymond are on the court, the Warriors are really hard to beat. Um, I just don't know. I, I kind of like the Celtics right now. I kind of like
1: the Celtics. Your own Weissman with us from Fox Sports. You wrote about Marcus Smart, that defensive brilliance from my uh, from Boston. How much of it has to do with Marcus Smart being their full-time point guard?
3: Yeah, it changed the whole thing because it means, like, so they, they had an affinity for Danny Ainge, the you know, guy that he team. built the team. He, his whole thing was, and a lot of guys think this way, I want guys who can create off the dribble because in the playoffs, that's what you need most. Um, and doing so meant they were going to have weak guys on, you know, guys whose teams could target. And that's become such a big part of the NBA. So Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Isaiah Thomas, like guys who opponents can target. And we see that all the time in the playoffs, right? And now the Celtics don't have any of those guys. Marcus Smart being the point guard means they have nobody who can target. So you remove, not only did you remove like your weakest defenders, but you put another, you got bigger and stronger, and you're able to switch across all five positions. It just changed the entire complexion of their team.
2: Are you convinced Draymond's correct, or can the Heat win two games?
3: Um, I mean, I don't know. The Heat like shooting themselves up with like HGH and like some kind of like, you know, <laughs> back there like, to get healthy because it seems like, you know, Jerry Butler, Kyle Lowry, you see a good video of him coming off the bus. He can barely walk. Um, Jerry Butler is clearly not himself. Color Hero he's, uh, I don't know, if he playing? I don't even know what he listed as playing for them. I don't even know what he's listed at right now. Um, but if he's going to play, he's not himself. Um, you are taking take away your three best offensive players, um, probably, or three best uh, half court creators. Um, you can't beat the Celtics if that's the case.
1: You've written about the 76ers a lot and their process. How should the Sixers feel right now with the Celtics? One went away from going to the finals with two players in Tatum and Jalen Brown that they could have drafted.
3: Yeah. The Tatum one's the one that hangs over, right? So I try to give the Sixers a bit of a pass on that. Um, like Markel Fultz was the clear number one. I try to, you know, with, with my draft and my draft um, Monday morning quarterbacking analysis, um, I try to be pretty generous because it's really a crapshoot. And, like, I don't want to be the guy who says, well, how are these all these 12 teams, how they all pass on Giannis? They're idiots. And, like, you oh, know, you can find a guy like that in the big draft, right? And um, Markel Falls, I, I said, I don't, I'm not a college. I don't watch college much. I don't pretend to be a scout. I don't, I can't tell you if everyone's crazy. But Markel Falls was the consensus number one pick um, that year. Uh, you know, everybody had him as number one. Um, and if he became three quarters of the players, Sixers, uh, the three quarters of the players, excuse me, that pretty much everybody in the NBA except Danny Ainge projected him to be, the Sixers would have been in great shape. So I try to give him a little pass on them. But yes, that that is a uh, yeah, the Tatum fault thing is, I'm you have the extra pick, That that is a uh, yeah, that keep, that's gotta hurt.
2: <laughs> what should we expect from Zion now that he's been cleared completely?
3: Zion, uh I have no idea. And now I mean that like <laughs> he's gotta show he can stay healthy and he's and again, the good thing, like he's gotta show he's interested. And um to me the trajectory with him is like, okay, so we've seen the ceiling is Embiid, right? And there's a lot of similarities. The guy who came out with crazy talent, um, had issues staying healthy, had some conditioning issues, and Embiid made a choice, right? And he was gonna it took a while, but he made a choice in terms of physical conditioning. He was gonna take that seriously. Um so you can go that way or you can go the way of, you know, name name your draft box. Right, so we know Zion. Like, difference with him is he's not a bust in terms of talent. We've already seen when he's on the floor, he is an elite, you know, top twenty already NBA player. Right, just an unstoppable offensive force. So it comes down to conditioning and health, and the conditioning probably affects the health, and that's a choice he has to make.
1: Well, he is Your Own Weitzman from Fox Sports covering the NBA. Your Own, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Your own. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. So, Your Own Weitzman from Fox Sports on the NBA. Um, you got a, You got a games prediction on Zion Williamson. Fifty-seven. Oh, that's gonna be a, the Pelicans are gonna be yeah. like the five seed. Yeah, fifty-seven. Look at that. They were they were kind of impressive in the postseason too. Fifty-seven from Zion. Say fifty-seven from Zion. Man, I I hope he's good. But I also kind of hope that we could get him and Luke on the same team and Jason Kidd calling both of them fat. (laughs) That'd be a lot of fun. Here's the full quote from Jason Kidd last night. Now it's about what's our appetite come next season? Next season, are we going to be hungry? And then are we going to train this summer to understand what it means to play until May and June.
2: Are there hidden messages in there about uh, Luca's appetite and yeah. if he's always hungry?
1: <laughs> yes, I think so. I think so. But that, I mean, that is basically Jason Kidd saying, well, I fight. Okay, first off, I find it funny that the team that just lost in five in the Western Conference Finals. Would potentially not be hungry to come back. Like that's a. Are we going to be hungry enough? Is what you say after you win the title. Right. Right. Are we going to be complacent because we finally did it? Or but the team that lost in the conference finals should like be one of the hungriest teams out there. So I find that funny. But I do love the shots that a he uses hungry and appetite in the quote, and then says, "Are we going to train in the summer so that we're in the best possible position to keep playing (laughs) playing. in June?" Exactly. And Luca you know, wasn't exactly in yeah, shape. He likes after his twenty-four ouncers. Yeah, it's it's fine. I, yeah, I, mean, I I like fat Luca. I mean I like the idea of Luka Doncic being like not in shape and taking and still scoring the scoring forty the 10, ten. Right. Seven. It's great. It's phenomenal. Like it's it's part I think it's why, even though he, he's not fat, it's why I love Giannis talking about food. Like we right. re- remember we played the Oreo sound? Yes, yeah. Where the kid told him you should dunk it in milk and he was like yeah. I can dunk these things in milk and he's like I ate a whole package that yes. day dunking them. It's like it's great. It, but he's also not fat. But I just love those. He scores 50 to win the NBA finals. The next day he goes to Chick-fil-A and gets 50 nuggets.
2: Yes. <laughs> it's like
1: I just it's just great. Uh one last thing cuz Jerome brought this up. These are Luka's career playoff numbers, his averages. 33 points, 9 rebounds, 8 assists. That's what he is averaging in, in the, the playoff season. For his career now, it's three years, so it's not like it's a t- massive still, sample, but that's remarkable. Yeah. I will say the one thing, and this isn't exactly new about Luca, he's shooting under 70% from the free throw line in the postseason in his career. Like, I, it's always funny to me when a guy can be a great shooter, like from three-point well, range. And they go to the free throw line, and they're like way below. average. I mean, at
2: one point in the series, Curry was at eighty something percent, oh, and that that's was a nightmare. even that was even more surprising. Nightmare.
1: Luca is seventy four percent in the regular season for his career, which is fine. It's fine. Like it's not great, but it's fine. I, you, I don't know. To me, it's just like you see Luca as a shooter, and you think, oh, that guy should make eighty five, ninety yeah. percent of his free throws. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? All right. Coming
0: up next, one of the funniest NFT stories you've ever heard. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Ed, I know you always love a good NFT story. Yeah, I asked you earlier, didn't I? Um, this one involves Seth Green and getting an NFT stolen, uh, which is uh, always fun and always possible. So there's an NFT called Bored Ape Yacht Club and I think it's the most popular or most expensive is probably the right word to use of pretty much any of the NFTs. Uh, Seth Green, had he owned a Bored Ape NFT. And just before you ask, the, the monkeys don't race or anything. They're There's just, no like it's dynamite or yeah, earthquakes it's, or anything. It's just a picture of an ape is what it is. But they're very, very expensive. Um, Seth Green owned one. He lost it. He lost his NFT? Yes. how do he lose it? So to give you like an overly technical explanation here, to own an NFT, you have to buy it with cryptocurrency. You have a digital wallet, which is where your cryptocurrency is stored. For example, with like the horses and chickens that we have, right. the people that create the horses and chickens, for us to like buy and play the games, race our horses and chickens, we give them access to our wallet. So that when we, you know, put a horse in a race, it takes money out of our take wallet. Take money out of your wallet. Right. There are a lot of uh, phishing scams where you will get a direct message from somebody. They try to make it look legit, and if you click on the link, you end up giving access to some your wallet to somebody, and they can go in and take your stuff out of it. So this NFT it exists in your wallet, and if you give the if you give a scammer access to your digital wallet they can go take everything out of it so i'm assuming seth, money yeah i'm assuming seth green clicked on a link oh. there was a phishing scam and gave access to somebody his wallet and somebody stole his nft is what oh. happened here um so yeah that's what happened i'm guessing to seth green but here's the funny part of it <laughs> we're we're now reaching the funny part of it. yeah yeah um Seth Green was going to take his ape NFT because when you own an NFT you own you own the rights to it you can use it however you want. is he, this just a picture of an ape yeah yeah he was going <laughs> he was going to take his ape and he was going to create an animated show based on the picture based on his ape and now he cannot do that because he does not own the ape anymore does he know who got it? um i don't know is it easy to find
2: out who's who who stole from no
1: no not at all that's the good and bad things of cryptocurrency is it's not like easily tracked if trackable at all i'm sure people can track it but just your everyday people can't track it so no not at all but this is what i'm curious about he apparently can't make this animated show because he doesn't own the rights to this ape right but what if he made it anyway, and then waited for somebody to sue him and say, "That's my ape." That's my ape. Then you'd be like, then "Well, you stole you the you ape stole from, it from me. me." It's not bad. It's I not I, bad. I think he would still be screwed because he get ga- he clicked on a link that gave them access to his he wallet. He chose to click on it, right. right? And granted, that they stole it from him. He didn't want them to take it, but. I think he would still be screwed in that instance. These are worth a lot of money. Uh, So the Bored Ape Yacht Club has, like, a lot of uh, perks for the owners. Like, you get to... I don't know what they are because I don't have $100,000 or whatever they cost to buy one. Oh, they might be more expensive than that. Some NFTs have sold for millions of dollars. Yeah. Oh, they're ridiculous. Who... (laughs) All right, I've asked that question too many times. <laughs> Who's buying a picture of an eight for a million bucks? I can't. I can't get the. Uh, I can't get the the site to load that tells me what it is. All right, there's your your floor pli- price is ninety Ethereum. Ethereum's worth about eighteen hundred dollars right now, so that's what you got to pay to get one.